Hello and welcome to another exciting week of Tech Talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network. You are listening live with your host, Arye Lightstone. You can listen to us on jmintheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera. More than just a camera store, please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Today promises to be another very exciting show. We're actually taking a different twist uh, than we do on occasion. And uh, we have a guest on with us, Aaron Sylvan, from the TEDx Fulton Street. I'm going to welcome on one one moment. I just wanted to first uh, give a shout-out to ZK, our engineer, who, who was able to make uh, uh, wondrous things happen for us weekly. And, uh, and here on Tech Talk, we are deeply appreciative of that. Um, for those people not aware of TED or TED Talks or TEDx, we're going to have a chance to hear all about it, a major um, component of, uh, of advancing thought and ideas to the world. And, and here we have on one of the leaders in that industry uh, and here to talk about um, both what TEDx is and what's going on in New York City and ways to, uh, to get more involved. We have Aaron on the line. Aaron, are you there? Yes, I am, and thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to join you. Uh, we are very excited to have you. I, you know, I've been. Uh, uh, you'll walk us through the history, because frankly, I don't want to give our audience any of the wrong information. But I have been such a fan of TED and then TEDx for for how I don't know for however long it's been going on. But it, to me, it's it's an impactful. Um, it's an impactful technology methodology in terms of sharing ideas big and small, and, and it's, it's really exciting to have somebody from that industry on with us. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, and uh, it, is, uh, it is absolutely my pleasure to be here. Uh, the TED conferences have been a very big part of my life since, um, uh, since I, I went to uh, my first one in 1997, and um, I'm happy to, uh, to answer all your questions and tell you all about it. That, that would be excellent. So when did TED start? Um, oh, you know, I, I now I don't want to be misquoted. I believe that the uh, the first was in 1984. Um, the um, the very first was a one-off, and uh, the uh, the organizer was not satisfied with how it went, so he took a break for about ten years before doing the second. Um, ah. That's what. That's why I'm not exactly clear on the uh, on the first one. I believe it was 1984, and I believe that it included um, early demo or pre-demo of, uh, of Macintosh from Steve Jobs and some other folks in technology. Uh, the conference started as something that's rather different from what it is today. It was created by an individual named Richard Saul Worman, who is. Um, uh, who is a pioneer in the field of information architecture. Um, he's a, um, an art director, graphic designer, published dozens of books. And um, I know he's a member of the Art Directors Club Hall of Fame. And um, uh, he wanted to create um, just the, the world's greatest conference on technology, education, and design. So he named it TED for the TED. And um, and uh, very early on, he changed that E from education to entertainment. So for most of its life, TED was technology, entertainment, and design. And he brought together, the idea was to bring together the, um, uh, the world's greatest luminaries in each of those three fields for, um, uh, for a conference that did right all the things that he felt so many other conferences do wrong. Um, and uh, in this sense, um, uh, let's see. None of the um, none of the presenters share the stage. There are no panel discussions. Nobody is. Um, uh, there is no question and answer because of the theory that the speakers on the stage know their subject better than the audience. So the attendees are coming for the purpose of hearing the speakers, not hearing one another's questions. Um, and. Um, uh, really, what sets it what set it apart is that um, is the absolutely world class lineup of, uh, of speakers that would always be present. Um, can you so, can you speak briefly for one moment in terms of why there was the pivot from education to entertainment? And I don't know if there is I don't know a if you're the right person to ask that question to, or b if it's even a fair question to ask. But to me, uh, we spend a lot of time on this show mostly talking about 
where technology and entrepreneurship interlinks with uh, education, and with the exception of our friend that mutually introduced us, Aaron Schoenfeld, we've spent very little time talking about entertainment. I see. The um, so you know now really there there is a media contact and a media liaison at the TED conferences uh, who is who is best best qualified to answer questions about about the intent. But I can talk about speak about my experience and what uh, what what uh, what Werman told me was that um, while he remained con- committed to the concept of education, that he found it difficult. To, um, uh, to line up sufficient um, educator content for that to be an appropriate naming of the E. Um, so uh, he sort of felt as if the entire conference itself is education, and therefore it doesn't need to be stated in the name. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, in my, my personal opinion, since I, I, I can't speak for them, but my opinion is that, uh, is that the entertainment was added in order to make the conference itself entertaining, um, yeah. since, uh, since I found that um, it was really a technology and a conference and a design conference that happened to sometimes have some entertaining acts in it. Okay. Uh, a, that to me was 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 curious, and and uh, and you nailed that right on the head. So we very much appreciate that, and uh, and I think you bring a good point. I think we should bring at some point in time, perhaps before your event, try to get on the the media spokesperson for TED itself to uh, to to speak about that. But that that is not why we have you on. We have you to walk us through the journey of of your experience with TED and and how TEDx Fulton Street came to play. Right. Right. Thank you. So. Um uh, yes. Yeah, so, what? Um, let me see. You know, I when when uh, when Ted began, and when I first started going in the uh, in the late nineties, this was um, this was an unadvertised invitation only event that um, that sold out um, uh, that sold out about a year in advance. Which um, and it was it was always a pricey affair. I remember that at my first uh, my first Ted. When I found out the price of the ticket, I figured out that that was about three times what I paid for a month's rent at that point in my life. Um, so this was a major, major commitment, and I was very alarmed to find out that um, when I finally got together the nerve to buy one of these tickets, they said, oh, no, no, it's, um, this year it's sold out. You need to buy yours for next year. And uh, I asked, well, who are the speakers? Who's presenting next year? What am I buying? And they said we can't tell you that because we haven't. Um, we're not going to book next year's speakers until next year. So uh, it is going to sell out before we announce any of the content. And um, if you want to come, you better write us your check now. What a great business so, to be in. <laughs> no, no kidding. Yeah. So, um, so I hesitated and missed it. And um, and then ultimately, I ended up having to wait another year. So. Um, uh, eventually, I just took the leap of faith and um, and signed up. And sure enough, as expected, that conference was the best four days of my year. And for I've been to I've been to the main event uh, twelve times, and each time it has always been the most extraordinary four days of my year. Wow! And and for those of us who 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 our interaction with TED is is purely through the videos that then get circulated. Is TED always in the same location? Uh, uh, right, right. So I should, yes, I can definitely clarify that. So when uh, when I first started going, it was always in the same location, which was in Monterey, California, in a conference center. Um, in the year 2002, the conference changed ownership, and the uh, it was it was acquired by its current uh, its current owner, although the title he uses is curator, and um, uh, uh, Chris Anderson. And, uh, who purchased it through a uh, through a not-for-profit foundation? And uh, so originally, the conference um, was uh, was a private for-profit endeavor. Uh, it might have been enriching for its participants, and I think that it was a, uh, a a kind and giving act of the creator to make it, even though it was expensive. But uh, but technically, it was a for-profit venture, and it, it became a not-for-profit when it purchased in 2002. Mm-hmm. And uh, and at that time, um, uh, it began a, a, ti- a sort of tidal shift towards uh, towards philanthropy as a focus, and really addressing the questions of 
you know, if we have a room full of the most extraordinary minds and the most established creators in the world, the people who you know built the uh, who, who who built the space station, the people who uh, who have created the corporations that are the largest business entities in this country, the people whose inventions fuel our daily lives. If we put all those minds in the same room and set them to working on tasks together, you know, how can we change the world? And um, and what does what in the world needs help? So this, this philanthropic angle began to come in, um, and really, I found became noticeable around 2006, 2007, um, and that's a, that's around when um, when Chris began to uh, publish all of the talks uh, for the entire world. Uh, so that's when people started hearing of TED. When instead of being a secret, private, invite-only event in California once a year where 800 people can have a great experience, it became a YouTube phenomenon where now billions of people have viewed this incredible content completely free of charge. So prior to 2002, if you weren't invited and paid that amount in order to attend, you wouldn't have had the exposure to any of the conversations that were happening there. Absolutely not. That, you know, you're, what you said is correct. That's right. You would not have been exposed. The, um, they did uh, re- make recordings uh, back then when I first started going. They were, these, um, they were on CD-ROMs and then eventually on DVDs. And uh, if you were an attendee, they would give you a copy of the proceedings so that you could refer back to it. Um, but, uh, but the idea that it was public was, no, it was absolutely not. You could not... You could not pay money, and a lot of people tried to. You could not pay for a copy of what happened at the conference. You had to either be there or you were not a part of it. Ha! How interesting is that? Because that flies in the face of everything that I understood uh, Ted to be, and I appreciate you enlightening myself and the audience. I do want to take one minute out of the interview to remind everybody uh, that they're listening to Tech Talk on the Nahum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Arya Lightstone. You're listening to us either on jmintheam.org or nachumsegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Um, and please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Today on the show, we're really lucky to have Aaron Sylvan. And am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Yes, you are. Okay, great. The organizer and founder of TEDx Fulton Street. Uh, in his bio, it recounts, and as he shared with us, that TED has been part of his life for a dozen uh, conferences since his first in 1997. He is not, and I used it term only in terms of the phraseology, not only in charge of TEDx Fulton Street, but also has built two software companies, raised millions of dollars in angel investments, and closed sales with Fortune 500s. Currently an executive producer of a TV series about entrepreneurs in New York City, and of course, the reason why we have him on the show, but we'll have a chance hopefully to talk about a couple of the other things as well, the organizer and founder of TEDx Fulton Street. So uh, Aaron was just so kind to walk us through a little bit of the history of TED itself and um, how it evolved. And it used to be a private event that would, if you had the chance to attend and pay the high price in order to go, you had the chance to go. But other than that, those conversations were more or less private and exclusive. And I guess that's one of the reasons that they can get a premium um, on the, the price to attend. It truly was a once in a year, if not once in a lifetime opportunity. With Having attended dozens of those conferences or a dozen of those conferences, was there a almost like a club feeling that I get to participate and you would interact? Was that also a super networking component of it as well? Absolutely, absolutely. There was, there's nothing, uh, there's, there's, I've never seen or heard of such an intense concentration of power players in one place. Um, you know, I might be standing on the buffet line at one of the snack breaks next to the founder of, uh, you know, founder of America Online and, uh, and with in front of me and the founder of Ben and Jerry's behind me and um, the founder of Amazon.com walks by to say hello and um, we're all having a conversation with the 
founder and editors of Wired Magazine. I mean, it was just an entire room full of people like that and felt like a very extraordinary privilege to be, um, to be present. Now, I now understand. <laughs> I, I'm, I know what I'm going to dream about tonight, but I, you know, I, I understand why somebody would pay if they can afford the cost to attend. What was it about TED that attracted these people? to? They weren't all speakers. They couldn't have all been speakers every year. What, what was the attraction to those people to show up to TED? You mean people who could have anything they wanted, be anywhere, go anywhere, or do anything? Yeah, yeah, correct. Um, those, those people, yes. <laughs> right. Um, well, a lot of them, a lot of them would say that um, uh, would say that uh, they have time in their lives for one conference or one event of that nature per year, and that was the one that they picked. And um, uh, and it, yes, it's true that if you are Jeff Bezos, uh, founder, chairman, CEO of Amazon.com, if there's any particular person on this planet that you want to meet, you can meet them anyway. You don't need a conference for that. Sure. That's that's true. But what is uh, what was so uncommon is having this curated set of presentations of 60 people who have it would be 60 people over four days who had each significantly changed the world somehow, all in one place and all at one time. Uh, you know, taken in isolation, sure, like one, one of the presenters who I especially appreciated was the gentleman who fixed the Hubble Space Telescope when it was broken. Um, <laughs> and at that, at that time, he was the human who had spent the largest number of hours in space. Um, and uh, he'd been on over a hundred missions and so forth, and and uh, and that's somebody who, even if you are, even if you're Jeff Bezos, that's somebody who you're not going to encounter in your normal daily life. You know, not that's, that you couldn't, uh, not that you couldn't, but that you wouldn't, you might not think to try and find that person. Right. So Ted, Ted the conference provided an opportunity where where you and I. Or, or people in your circles or people in my circles would say this is an awesome place to be, even the people like Abizos would say they created such an environment that this was it, it was enriching for them to be there. That's right. Even for, even for people who could literally buy or own or do anything in the world, even for them, it was that special that it was worth taking the time out to do it year after year. And, you know, to come and hear... Um, uh, to come and get a direct sales pitch from Bono about how his, his initiative to cure AIDS in Africa or, or to stop AIDS in Africa and here and to have Al Gore and Peter Gabriel show up to talk about their environmental initiatives and then be able to have a private one-on-one -on -one chat with them during the coffee break or the breakfast snack or the dinner. Um, those, I mean, just that many people are to talk to talk philosophy with Deepak Chopra, and then and then talk with uh, with glassblower Dale Chihuly about uh, about uh, about his plans for um, for the ceiling at the Bellagio. And just to have this this intense concentration all in one time and place is what made it so extraordinary. And for people like me who is who are not as big a deal as the founder of America Online or of Amazon or or the um, the, the co-founders of Google. Um, uh, for people like me, I would not normally have access to those people, so I very much felt like I'd gotten a backstage pass to the um, uh, the, the you know, secret world of of, uh, of the the uh, tech elite. Well, I think now that that you are a guest on Tech Talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Um, you know, I think you and I, when we attend our next TED conference, will have an opportunity for, you know, I can imagine uh, Bezos or, or you know, Sergey from, from Google going home and sharing with their friends that they had an opportunity to interact with you and I. So it's, uh, what we're, you know, our goal is to constantly be striving. Um, but it's, uh, you know, just even – look, everybody – uh, having been involved in not-for-profit experiences, mostly with teenagers for, for almost a decade, the key is how do you create a memorable experience, and then how do you make that once-in-a-lifetime experience replicated? And here, with the, it sounds to me, again, hearing what, what you're saying, that the greatness of TED was creating a once-in-a-lifetime experience annually. And that's 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 an I mean it's an awesome thing to even be able to contemplate um, and uh, and that that's really special. Um, 
And from the time that it was bought, um, ha- have you felt any difference in between the caliber or the the feeling in the room during the conference? Um, well, um, it, it, the caliber, no. Um, it's uh, it was always top tier, and it continues to be. Um, the feeling in the room um, has uh, has certainly changed because it shifted away from being um, a, um, a a private party for the tech and entrepreneurship elites, and became more about a uh, a global mission to do big things. And um, I, I don't not describe one or the other of those as superior, but they are different. Uh huh. And, and so, and did it attract? I understand that the crowd still remained elite. I imagine the the crowd then broadened in terms of people from different industries potentially. Is and maybe I'm making that up, but that would be my, you know, sort of the the not for profit global good perhaps attracts a a larger circle than Ted pre that. Um, well, you, you know, it became um, uh, it it became much more public when um, when when Chris, the owner, uh, took a giant gamble by saying, "Well, what if we make this not a private secret thing? What if we um, what if we do make it so that everyone can get this free? Um, would you would people still pay for tickets if you, if they if they knew that they could have this uh, uh, for free?" and uh, it turns out that this, the answer to that question, this experiment has been conducted many times in different ways with Internet books and so forth, and it turns out the answer is yes. Actually, people will continue to pay, even if they can have the content for free, because they're not entirely paying just to hear the talk. They're paying for the experience of being in the room and for meeting the people. So if you make the content free, then it does more good for the world it reaches more people because it's free, and the individuals who want the experience of coming in person will want the experience that much more. Um, so uh, it turns out that, and so the current price of tickets is more than double what it was when the talks became free, and the number of attendees is also more than double, and um, the conference has expanded from. From being once per year to being uh, to being twice per year, you asked about the location, and um, yeah. I can I can I can speak to that now. It's there has been always one uh, the, uh, one main event um, in it used to be late uh, late February. Now it's early March, um, and it had been originally in Monterey, California. Then it was in Long Beach, and uh, this past year, 2014. For the first time, it was in uh, Vancouver, and uh, I know it's the plan for Vancouver to stay the home of the main event. Uh, there's also TED Global, which is the second uh, the second conference produced by the, the the main organization, and TED Global moves. Uh, it has been, I believe, in Africa, India, uh, Scotland, and um, uh, and I. I there's there's no commitment to one particular place for it. I think the idea is that TED Global should be a roving conference, uh, while the main TED uh, has basically got a home on the Pacific coast of North America. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, so that's where it is. And the the main conference organization produces two events per year. Uh, the um, the TEDx program, which launched in 2009 enables enthusiasts like me to um, uh, to independently organize uh, a TED-like experience under the TED branding and with, uh, with some cooperation from TED, but basically run as an independent franchise. Um, Interesting. Okay. And, and, and how many TEDx's happened, there, are there? So since that happened, there uh, since that program was introduced, there have been over 9,000 independently organized TEDx events, um, and I believe the current count is around 3,000 per year. Wow! Um, so I am not the only one doing it. <laughs> there are um, 
Okay. Uh, and and uh, how many Ted X's are there? Are they? Does does Ted protect the franchise vis-a-vis geographic location? Uh, specialties. So, how, how does how does Ted or does Ted not get involved with that at all? No, they're very involved with it, and there's a very uh, there's a stringent application process, and then a lengthy contract governing the terms of um, of, of use. Um, and um, uh, in the theory, the thinking is that there are great minds and great people everywhere. Not uh, not only the handful that make it to the main stage at the main conference, and that this form of learning and of bringing this way of bringing people together for um, for an in-person exchange of ideas between extraordinary people, that concept um, can do good in more parts of the world than than the than the uh, twice per year that the that the conference puts out. So. Um, the idea of the TEDx program is to spread it geographically, um, which means if you were to, if you live someplace remote and you want a license to be a TEDx producer, then that's very easy to obtain. Uh, if you are in a location that's not served by some other TEDx event, mm-hmm. um, uh, if you are in New York City, um, there are uh, there are uh, quite a few TEDx events. That already are licensed around New York City, so um, they are, they are uh, issuing fewer licenses. Mostly, a new TEDx event that wishes to exist in a region served by another one, the organizer would be advised to um, to join the team of the existing event rather than to create a competing one. Understood. Okay, so there there is a strong protection. In both of the brand as well as the TEDx, which is part of the brand, and that that's interesting because I'm not positive that that's a well known um, that that's a you know that that's a well known um, understanding, and I think that gives even greater credibility to um, um, you know to, to the whole concept of the TEDx's that are out there because I'd have to ma- not have to imagine it obviously makes sense that there's very few people who can make it to the to the big stage to speak. It's not that many more people who can make it to the big stage in order to see them in person. And my feeling or my guess is, and, and we'll ask you this directly in a moment, that uh, that experiencing it up front is different than experiencing it uh, separately. Uh, I did want to pause again for one moment to remind everybody that uh, you're listening to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, Arya Lightstone. We have a guest on Aaron Silvan today from Ted X Fulton Street, enlightening us on the whole Ted movement. And specifically, we're going to get to Ted X Fulton Street momentarily. You're listening to us on jmandtheam.org or nachumsegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera. More than just a camera store, please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. So before we get to Ted X Fulton Street specifically, so can you speak to sort of the, the concept of attending versus watching the produced videos and what the difference is there, you know, um, 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 you know, commenting on uh, the people still go and, and the, the amount of people who have attended have doubled, even though you can watch the speeches without that. Absolutely. Yes. So um, the, I would say for sure there are, there are two strong reasons for or the, I'll say what are the two strongest reasons as I see it for going um, that that might not be obvious. One of them is that uh, in your home, no matter how much of a TED fanatic you are, you are very unlikely to um, to spend uh, to, to spend eight hours out of one day doing nothing but watching videos uh, lined up back to back. Okay. Right. Um, even it's and and they're really they're really not not meant for that. It's um, uh, they're it's like a tasting menu, you know, where there's a, there's a limit to the quantity that you might uh, you might feel comfortable ingesting. Um, not the same thing as watching um, watching a full season of your favorite TV series, for instance, since that is designed in such a way that that a fanatic might line them up back to back, but um, but these highly concentrated presentations of um, uh, that that are meant to really change your perspective that that are the hallmark of the of the TED talks um, 
is um, uh, it's a challenge. It's draining mentally and emotionally, and um, uh, and it's uh, and and then there is something um, uh, something more distant about the experience when it's in a little window on the computer. You know, it's easier for the mind to wander and you look away. You do other things, and um, uh, when you go to a conference in person and you're sitting in an auditorium sharing the same air with the presenter, um, you know, you, you shut up. <laughs> you shut up, you turn off your phone, you sit down, pay attention, and uh, it forces you to clear your mind of all the other junk that's usually there and to spend the day doing nothing but thinking about these new ideas. Um, so I think one big difference is simply that that someone uh, has curated a selection of th- of of, um, of presentations that at least you know that that hopefully are excellent together and that support one another together. You know, it's not like going to a website where there might be uh, might be a few thousand talks and you don't really. You know, there is no morning plan for you. You don't have a sequence of six things that go together and complement each other in an interesting way. You know, there's at the live event, someone has gone to a lot of trouble to curate who's speaking in what order in a way that together they will um, paint a larger picture. Okay, uh, interesting. Uh, and is there the networking component at the TEDx's, obviously to a different degree than it is at TED? Is that a value when people are considering going um, to a TEDx uh, conference? Yes, very much. And the, um, that's, so that's, uh, that's also an, a very important point is that, there's, um, is that uh, unlike many conferences at, uh, at, at TED and at, and at the TEDx events, um, uh, speakers tend to stay for the entire event. It's very unusual for someone to show up, uh, show up right before their stage appearance Get on, talk, and turn around and leave. For the most part, the um, they, they'll stick around both because they're encouraged to by the organizers, and because and because the other speakers are so special that oftentimes even if someone's on the stage, they're they are themselves eager to meet the other people who will be on the stage before and after. Um, so um, the uh, there's there's a much higher degree of availability and accessibility. Attendees definitely go because they say, hey, that's one of my favorite recording artists up there, and if I stick around for the lunch break, then maybe I'll meet them. Or, um, uh, uh, yeah, icons from, uh, from business or from entertainment or, or a famous designer or famous, famous recording artist. Um, these, these are special people. Many of the, at, at the main TED conference, just about everyone who is on the stage is someone who, if it were anywhere else in the world, they would have been the keynote. It's like an entire day, it's like an entire conference of keynotes. So the, 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 not only are the presenters anxious to see the other presenters, but because they're there, there's also a greater tie-in, and the, the caliber of the presenters are to such a degree that, that, that by definition you couldn't find that all in one place pretty much anywhere else. And so that's one of the, one of the components of excitement. So, so you know, that dovetails nicely into, into the other question that, that I had. Well, while TED produces a conference and TED Global produces a conference, it's, we'll call it two conferences a year, but in geographically certainly disparate places, yeah. how many conferences would a TEDx produce annually? Ah, uh, okay. Um, so, um, I, there's a sort of two parts there. Um, the uh, the first uh, there's uh, I've had a little bit of an answer left over from your your other question about uh, to do with the networking. Which Sorry, is that, um, yeah, of course. That's, no, that's okay. Which is that um, which is that uh, um, if you are not the chief executive of a billion dollar a year company, which I am not, right? Um, I found at the main conference that while it's exhilarating to be standing in the lunch line next to the guy who invented the Segway or the guy who invented the Tesla motor car or the guy who invented Amazon.com, um, it's the chance that I'm going to actually end up engaged in a meaningful business transaction with one of those people is a little bit low. right? So it's fun to have a conversation with them, and I have, in fact, established 
a um, uh, a fantastic network of power players in the business world who I wouldn't have otherwise met through TED, but that was hard, and that took many years. And I was the chief executive of an established business at the time. I just wasn't a billionaire, but... Um, but uh, but I did have my own credentials. So someone who is an aspiring early-stage entrepreneur, um, as much as it might sound like a dream to be in a room with all those big, heavy players, um, it's actually unlikely that you would leave the room with some new opportunity because they don't want to talk to someone who's just beginning. Right, so, Jeff Bezos isn't right. passing out business cards saying, come tell me about your new idea. Right, and you know you might be able to corner him and give an elevator pitch for uh, for literally five, ten seconds, maybe even twenty, before he walks away or speaks to um, or speaks to one of the power players from his venture capital firms or something. You, you sure. might get away with that, and they might speak with you for a moment, but you're unlike. He'll, yeah, he'll say, "Sure, email me, uh, email me, Jeff at Amazon," and then he'll walk away, and that's the last of that. Uh-huh. So, um, right, so I mean, probably. Um, so it's it's fun the idea that you get one shot at it, but if you're at a smaller event, what you get is a room full of people that actually are more likely to do business with each other because they are uh, they're not super world famous yet. They're they're still hungry and they're still trying, and they're still working on interesting things and available for opportunities. Aha! Uh-huh. So it's it's it's. More likely, if I can paraphrase for a moment, that at the TEDx conference in your geographic location, you might run into people that there are mutually beneficial business interests that you might not run into at any other conference. Um, so you'll have all of those people in the room in addition to the people you can interact with who are the speakers. Um, but there may be people with, with similar or close to similar interests also from a similar geographic interest more at the same stage in terms of business life that would be a more uh, relevant network as opposed to saying, ooh, I took a selfie with, uh, with, uh, with the head of Amazon or the head of AOL, this might actually lead into relationships and actual business. That's right. You're more likely to end up actually, um, you know, actually doing something. Like, um, like there, were, uh, I, there were a few um, at the main TED conference, there were a few photographers who I met who had been, who I, I, I were uh, I, I had admired greatly uh, since I am uh, I am a photographer myself, and, and I said, "Wow, this is really great! I got to meet so and so." But but um, but that that guy's never going to do a project for me. I asked him what he wants for. Uh, I'm thinking of someone in particular. I don't want to say the name, but um, and um, and um, uh, his price for doing a portrait was uh, fifty thousand. <laughs> so, right. So I just said, well. So now it's great that I met this I met this guy and got to speak with him and hear some of his interesting perspectives. Although I could have heard those from just watching his presentation, but it was it was nice to have the interaction personally. But I'm never going to actually hire that guy uh, because right. I, I can't afford him. And and you know and it's and the same thing like uh, with uh, Chihuly's artworks. It was great seeing them. But I asked, so how much is this glass bowl? And he said, that's one of the cheaper ones. It's only uh, 45000 And, you know, uh, the more expensive ones were two or 300 each. And uh, so if you're not actually in the market for artwork that costs six or seven figures or for, you know, for a, sitting for a portrait session or there was a famous designer I spoke with about, you know, hey, can you do my brochure? And he said, sure, 25000 You know, and so... Um, I'll take so, two. You know, right, so... <laughs> Yeah, so be it two of those and put it in one of the bowls from the glass guy, right? So, um, <laughs> so, so, um, so meeting um, the biggest superstars in the world is not always as directly useful for uh, for someone who is uh, who is still working to get established as meeting someone who's still aspiring. You know, at a at a TEDx event, I might be more likely to meet a uh, a photographer that's that's or just everyone, every service provider. The 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 um, the, the, uh, the they're all going to have one less zero on their price tag than at the superstar event. No, sure, that, that <laughs> makes all the sense in the world, and and, and maybe again, sort of the buy low, sell high. Uh, type of concept there just to put it into for some of the audience I guess that would be you know like a uh, junior varsity high school basketball player 
asking LeBron James to teach him some of his moves. Um, you might get to see the guy and take a picture, but the odds of like, of him becoming your basketball tutor are probably fairly slim. Um, right, he's not gonna he's not gonna become your friend. You're not gonna do one on ones with him on Saturdays. Uh, so you know, meeting him, it might be useful to meet someone who is sort of um, uh, someone who is who is at the um, at the bottom or to and when uh, at the bottom of the NBA, not the top of it. You know, right, right, um, right. Like, um, and, uh, with in business, I think the people who are at the main conference or who are on the main stage. Um, those are great people to learn from because they're the ones who have made it. They, they have made, literally made it, it being the world that we live in. And, and that's awesome. But if you're trying to, they, they are the yesterday leading into today. Uh, and that, I mean, that's not, I'm not calling them husbands. They're, they tend to be very active, uh, active and current people. They're still dominant leaders. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that for someone who is aspiring and in a still small and growing stage, that um, that the folks who you might want to meet are your colleagues with whom together you will all make tomorrow. That, yeah, I like that. You said that very, very nicely. I understand that some that you focus on and you think about and you speak about, but that that was very special. I very much enjoyed that. Um, I, I wanted to take this moment just to to tell everybody, and, and we're, let, let's get into the meat and potatoes of TEDx Fulton Street. But if you haven't had a chance and you're listening out there, go into your computer, type in TED T E D X, then Fulton Street, like uh, F, like Frank, U L. T-O-N-Street.com and, and come and look and see what Aaron is putting on with his team and you look at the bios of his team members and it, it's a dream team. It really, really is. I can't even imagine what the bios would say about the people who are putting on Ted and Ted Global because this, to me, would be able to put on Ted and Ted Global in, in a second. And then if you scroll all the way to the bottom of the website, you'll see it's implemented by Sylvan Social Technology. Uh, click on that also, and I think you'll be able to have a little bit greater insight in, into our guest for today, Aaron. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's fun to be able to see different things that different people, uh, do and, and, and the wide, uh, swath, uh, the, from the art piece that you spoke to, the photography, to clearly the software and TEDx, to, it, it's very exciting to be able to hear about this because we don't normally get, um, guests who come at it from this angle here on TED Talk, and, and I'm sure that it's appealing to a whole different uh, group of listeners that are out there today, in addition, obviously, to our traditional listeners that we're grateful, grateful for always. So with that as a rambling introduction, would you mind telling us specifically about TEDx Fulton Street? Sure, sure. So, um, uh, so TEDx Fulton Street is uh, going to be an all-day event on Tuesday, June 10th. In, uh, in Lower Manhattan, um, we are on the campus of, of Pace University at the Schimmel Center for the Arts, which is a 600-seat um, a auditorium, making this, as far as I know, um, the, uh, the largest TEDx event in New York City. Um, this is also the, um, uh, uh, the inaugural TEDx Fulton Street. This is our first year. And, um, yeah, but, you know, I've been involved with the TED conferences for so long, uh, ever since the TEDx program came online about five years ago, I've had my eye on it saying, you know, I should really do one of these. Um, I've always wanted to be a TED organizer and do this my way. And, um, uh, and it, you know, it, the timing this year, the timing for 2014 just added up right. I had a large project that was finishing, and I said I knew I knew some time in my calendar would clear up. So, um, uh, so I said, this is uh, why, why put it off another year? This is the perfect time to uh, to go for it. And what started as a project that I thought would keep me and a few friends busy uh, for nights and weekends has actually become uh, a nearly full-time uh, occupation for the last uh, four or five months, I think. Um, by the time this event happens, there will be well over a thousand hours of volunteer time that's been committed to it. That um, uh, I don't know, maybe several thousand. Um, but um, uh, it's it's been an absolute uh, it's been an absolute joy, which is good since the I don't know if everyone realizes the uh, the TEDx license does not allow the organizer to collect uh, uh, any salary or compensation of any kind. 
Oh, my goodness. Okay. No, we did not know that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the, the, TEDx we, events, the TEDx events are all not-for-profit, um, and um, they are allowed to operate. An, an individual can run one, or, um, uh, or in my case, I created a not-for-profit foundation primarily for the, uh, for the purpose of, uh, of, of bearing the fiscal responsibility for this event. Uh, uh, TEDx events, by tradition, tend to um, operate using mostly volunteers, but there are certain um, – uh, we, we are allowed to pay individuals. Uh, we, we are allowed to pay service providers. Um, we're just not allowed to pay ourselves, including uh, – so that – including drawing something that looks like a, like a salary. So um, that means this is absolutely a tremendous labor of love. Yes. Uh, the um, – uh, we are TEDx events are allowed to charge up to $100 for uh, for tickets, and that is the ticket price at TEDx Fulton Street. Um, and um, and depending on the nature of the TEDx event, there are different types of licenses, uh, which allow for some degree of sponsorship from uh, from external entities. Um, we do have uh, we do have um, a handful of corporate partners. Um, and uh, uh, whose generosity helps us to produce a, uh, a greater event than we would have been able to otherwise. Um, but I would say um, I'd say about 85, 90 percent of the team of people who are working on this are doing it purely as volunteers because they believe in what we're doing and because they value the exposure they'll get from doing it. Sure. No, I, I'd have to imagine the, the level of exposure and professionalism that even accomplished professionals would get in some ways this has to be cross industry cross market in a way that that I, I don't even know any other way that you could what's it called that that you could generate that but you're talking about thousands of hours invested uh in doing that that's i mean mind boggling uh in theory i'd have to imagine some of the tedx's wind up with um, I would call it cash flow positive. Are there restrictions on where that can go, or you're telling me there's no way that they would wind up cash flow positive? No, it is it is possible, and um, uh, it's I, it, it might be unlikely, but it is it is possible. Um, the um, um, the there are requirements. It's in my contract with Ted the things that I uh, that I can or cannot do uh, with uh, with the funds. And uh, excess cash flow that's generated by a TEDx event needs to go either it can there's a few options it can either stay in the bank for next year's event of the same uh, of the same um, or it can be donated to a TEDx event that is connected with an educational institution um, or it can be donated to uh, a TEDx event in um, a developing country. So oh, okay. I can, I, can, and, I can keep it for next year, or I can give it to the poor, or I can give it to uh, an educational institution. But um, but TEDx events are not allowed to have a payout. They are not allowed to, uh, and they are not allowed to be used as fundraisers. So um, uh, it cannot be connected to a uh, to any uh, to any type of charity, or, or it can't be a donation. So that that that's interesting because I imagine then. I would have thought that maybe universities or, or, or other educational institutions would potentially adopt the TEDx model as, as like you said, sort of as a, as a key fundraiser for the year. But you're saying within the in the covenants and, and restrictions that is not allowed. That's correct. It is uh, it is not allowed. The idea is that um, the overriding um, spirit is of spreading ideas that are worth sharing. And that uh, that if you make that into a money-driven process, then um, then that is not open sharing. Um, and um, you know there are the requirements for the event. I'm producing I'm producing a very high-end event because of my experience in business and my experience in television, and I, I know how to do it. I know how to raise funds, and I know how to gain corporate partners. And I know how to make a TV show happen, so I'm going to do this my way, which is which is sort of going all out. But the contract requires that whatever happens on stage must be captured on video, and it must be uploaded to YouTube free of charge for the entire world. It does not say what kind, how that has to be done. So um, TEDx Mogadishu, 
there was one, right? TEDx Mogadishu looked to me more or less like it was produced on a webcam or an iPhone, and that's totally fine, right? Um, this, my event is going to be produced on uh, on on. Uh, uh, we've we've got a crew of about, uh, about 15 camera people. We're running uh, running five HD cameras, and we're going to we're going to produce this like it's a TV show. Um, but that's our option. It's not my obligation. So just because we're doing an expensive production doesn't mean that TEDx requires it. Uh, a pocket camera, an iPhone is sufficient. The only thing that the TED conferences care about is that if somebody says something on your stage, it has to make it up onto the YouTube channel so that the rest of the world can see it for free. That's all they care about. They don't want you trying to make money. Right, so Okay, interesting. First of all, thank you for clarifying that. Uh, and you anticipated my next question is, okay, so you can take your money and you can give it to another TEDx in a developing country. Where is the most remote place that uh, that you're aware of TEDx uh, occurring? I, I'd have to imagine it would be difficult to come up with something more remote than Mogadishu. Oh, well, there is a TEDx uh, South Pole. Um, so that, that that one might count as uh, as remote. I, I, I don't – I think there might have only been um, – a handful of people there. There was also a TEDx Amazonia that took place on a riverboat um, in the Amazon, and um, and I had the pleasure of meeting a few months ago the uh, the, the organizer of uh, TEDx Everest, which was in fact um, uh, on, it was not on the top of it was not at the summit of Everest, but it was uh, 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 but it was at, at the base camp. So. Um, they're, they Holy are. cow! <laughs> I mean, what that—that's a movement. You're talking about the South Pole, Amazonia, the base camp of Everest, Mogadishu, um, Fulton Street. Uh, you know, the, when when have those five words ever been been mentioned in the same uh, you know phrase with anything? No kidding, no kidding. I, I, all I can think is that um, you know maybe uh, International Space Station would be a little more remote, but um, uh, <laughs> well, they brought the people from the International Space Station to TED, so maybe that fulfills that uh, that obligation. Uh, yeah, it's it's been uh, it's pretty far-reaching in that way, and and um, you know even even this small event that that we call local um, are. Uh, at TEDx Fulton Street, we've got uh, our presenters include um, we've got uh, a computer hacker who's flying in from Denver, we've got a um, an international hostage negotiator who's coming in from Switzerland to talk about how his trade relates to business and daily life. Um, we've got um, uh, we've got innovators in uh, innovators in big data. We've got a fashion model who has uh, who has built a quarter billion dollar a year cosmetics company. She's going to talk about the transition between those worlds. Um, documentary filmmaker who's done a set of public service announcements to do with uh, with human trafficking. Um, we've got a structural engineer who was um, who constructed some of the some of the um, amazing architecture on the Fulton Center, uh, the Fulton Street Transit Center. Um, and so a very a very wide range of interesting folks um, uh, from different walks of life, and some of them from rather far locations. You know, our, our audience we expect to be mostly local and mostly uh, and mostly people in digital media or technology or entrepreneurship of some kind. That's pretty much the type of audience we expect. But the speakers are from all different walks of life and uh, and some from different parts of the world. So how, how many nominations did you have for presenters, if I can ask? Oh, um, uh, well over a hundred, I think several hundred. Um, most of, um, most of the speakers who are on our stage were, uh, were internally sourced. I think, uh, maybe 85%, 90% of who's on our stage was, uh, came from our own curation team. We uh -huh. identified if we could have anyone, who would we want? And then we go ask and, um, uh, and they say, uh, they say yes or they say no. Um, but, um, uh, the, of, of the, of the applicants, we have taken a few. We had one of, one of, um, uh, you know, I don't think I should say which ones. Um, sure. <laughs> but um, I, I don't. I, I don't know if. Uh, I, I don't know if they would feel as if they had been outed or or considered some a different class of citizen for having um, having applied or been nominated rather than come from our own team. Uh, sure. The um, you know the um, uh, our, our curation team cannot find every interesting person um, for sure. 
so we do look to outside, uh, you know, to to outside um, uh, sources and outside assistance. Like there's there's one person who recently turned up who has uh, who's involved in some absolutely incredible science, and our science uh, our science curator is now working feverishly to try and uh, and vet the. Um, the uh, the validity of this, and I, I don't want to talk about it. We haven't, we don't. Uh, he made an extraordinary claim, and before we say anything publicly about it, if it's if we feel that it's true, then we're going to put it on the stage. If we feel that it's unproven, then we have a responsibility to our audience to not put it up. And um, uh, so uh, that that came from outside, and we also had an open mic night a few weeks ago. Um, where we said we would give one minute to anybody who wanted it, uh, and then let the audience vote on uh, on who they would like to see more of uh, on our stage. So the the uh, winner of that's going to be announced, uh, I think, tomorrow. Uh, we've already been in contact with them, and the winner will be presenting. So some of these folks are rather famous, and some are on their way. How awesome is that? The the. I mean, I'm blown away. I don't know how you made it through the nominations. I don't know how you guys sat down, and I can only, I, you know, I'm picturing, you know, uh, around a cup of coffee or whatever else it is, literally throwing out the 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 people who, if they haven't changed the world yet, who are in the process of doing it uh, on your website. And I want to remind everybody who's listening there, please check out TedXFultonStreet.com. Uh, you'll find out more about our guest today, Aaron Sylvan, but you'll find out about his event June 10th. Uh, are there tickets available? Can we encourage people to to get online right now and buy tickets still? Absolutely. There's um, uh, you can uh, you can absolutely get a ticket. There is um, uh, in the in keeping with the TED tradition, there is an application to uh, uh, to get a ticket. Uh, but uh, the um, I can say you should not be discouraged. We're looking for an audience of um, of, uh, of interesting, curious, creatively minded people. And uh, there's plenty of availability. So um, uh, if you visit the website, there are links. Uh, or um, uh, or the uh, the shortest way to get there is bit.ly slash TXF, as in Ted X Fulton, uh, 2014. So bit.ly slash TXF 2014. We'll take you directly to the ticketing page as well as a concise description of all the speakers we can expect to see presenting. And I'll tweet out later on today the link to, uh, to both the website as well as to the ability to uh, purchase the tickets. If you're following me at Lightstone A, uh, you'll be able to see it over there. Um, and uh, you absolutely have to. I mean, I'm excited. And uh, we're, we're, we're a little bit less than a month away, and uh, I feel the anticipation. And it's, uh, it's, it's just exciting. It's uh to be able to sit in the room and to be able to hear these speakers. Um, and I want, I want to leave you with a closing message, but before I leave you with a closing message, I want to remind everybody that they've been listening to Tech Talk on the Nahum Siegel Network. Um, your host, Arie Lightstone. We've had a guest, Aaron Sylvan from TEDx Fulton Street, amongst many other accomplishments, on with us for the entire hour, and we are so incredibly grateful for your time. You've been listening to us on jmintheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Um, please check them out online at Adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Uh, in the very little bit of time that we have left, uh, can you share, you know, this is going to be awesome June 10th. I encourage everybody to apply to go ahead and to, and to watch and to participate. I'd say participate is a better word than, than to watch, it sounds like, for TEDx. I know I'm going to be online later today to be able to go ahead and to do that. Is this going to be an annual event? Is this is – this, I, I don't know how you can do it and still make a living, but, but share with us in a closing message what you hope to accomplish with TEDx Fulton Street. Oh, well, the um, uh, uh, the – Answer to that is that I, I hope to uh, to create uh, to create one of the best days in the year of all the people who come. Um, I, the amount of energy that I put into it uh, into it this year and uh, and my um, uh, my senior team uh, is was tremendous. But um, uh, the answer to how it'll, it'll be annual and uh, next year will be so much easier since there was a lot of setup and a lot of learning the first time around. Um, yeah, the TEDx license is uh, is annual, so um, uh, with few exceptions, most TEDx events are one per year. 
That uh, awesome. And and June 10th, check him out, please, online. Aaron, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. We didn't even get through, like, the, the last two-thirds of your bio, which I think would be a fascinating conversation anyways. Maybe we'll have a chance to check in with you after the show on June 10th, and, and we can talk about plans for next year and understand a little bit more about the – I'll call it the for-profit entrepreneurial side because I'm sure that our audience would benefit tremendously from having a chance to hear and learn more from you. So I know I've enjoyed the hour. I appreciate you spending with us, especially with such a major event just around the corner. Well, thank you very much. It's been an honor to be here, and I would be happy to speak with you in the future anytime that you like. Thank you. Have a great day. Looking forward to being in touch. Thank you. So long. Okay, wanted to remind everybody that you've spent an hour with us listening to Tech Talk. We had a phenomenal guest uh, from TEDx Fulton Street, um, Aaron Sylvan. Uh, check him out. Go to the show. If not, check it out on YouTube after. We can't wait to talk next week on another show of TED Talk. Until then, have a great week.